Good to be in God's house, amen? Praise the Lord. Had a interesting week this week. It's been a good week. Uh, some difficult uh, losses, loss of family members, and uh, it's interesting what that will do um, in your heart, make you think about eternal things make you think about gratitude and loving and family and uh, <clears throat> probably has made me a little emotional. Um, so I don't know what your week has looked like, but I do believe wholeheartedly that God wants to do a work in each one of us. And it's a good work because all that the Lord does, every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights, the scripture tells us. In our Bibles today, as we continue our walk through the book of Exodus, our theme has been an arrows out culture. This is an idea that we are moving out, if you will, and we are stretching out beyond our comfort zone. We're moving out from our... Uh, Egypt living and that living in bondage to a place of liberty and freedom. For some of us, it feels like the real wilderness, and, uh, but we are moving toward the promised land. So thanks be to God. We are in chapter 25, and as we came out of really chapter 19 through 24, we see this development of a covenant relationship that God is making with his people, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and he establishes his covenant. In many ways, it is like a wedding ceremony. The people have said their I do's. We will do all that the Lord has said. We will. Just as we say in a wedding ceremony, do you so-and-so take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded husband-wife? And their response is, we will, or I do. And so the nation of Israel has responded with their I do. And then the next part of a marriage ceremony would be the vows. The vows are those promises that are being made. And so we have the Ten Commandments. And we have the civil law that is given from chapters 21 through 23. And it is ultimately Moses even writes it down because he asks the people again and the people say, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And those vows. So they are committing to these vows. And Moses writes them down and reads them once more and they say yes. And so the covenant is solemnized with blood. And so they establish it. It is, if you will, this Mosaic covenant. It is known as the book of the covenant. In fact, David in Psalm 1, when he refers to, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1 real quick. Just flip over to Psalm 1. This is beautiful. David in Psalm 1 talks about, he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
That is Exodus 20 through 24. He is referring to the law of the Lord, meditating in it day and night. It's this covenant with God. I've made a covenant with God and I'm meditating on it day and night. For me, that makes my spiritual life the volume of my life. Our walk with the Lord is not a Sunday endeavor. It's 24-7, 365. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it is our all in all. Oftentimes when you meet someone for the very first time, hi, Jason, I'm Dave. The next question out, generally speaking, what do you do? He just mouthed that to me. What do you do? And we often will go immediately into what it is that we spend our time laboring in. Well, I'm an engineer. Well, I'm a manager. Well, I'm a burger flipper. I'm a XYZ landscaper. I'm a whatever it is that you, we do, that's generally what we tell people. But in reality, we are Christ's ambassadors first. I am an ambassador for Christ who happens to landscape. Or I am an ambassador in Christ who ha happens to make widgets. Whatever those are. <laughs> I'm an ambassador in Christ who puts cars back together after Pastor Dave has used them. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Ambassadors, it's consuming and that we would be Christ's followers. And so today, <coughs> we're looking at the first nine verses, and depending on how long I have my voice this morning, we'll determine how long the sermon's going to be. <laughs> Some of you have begun to pray right now. <laughs> Lord, help his voice to go away. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Thank you. So read with me, and today if you were to take one thing that I believe an unction from the Lord, Josh Miller asked me, sermon in a sentence, Pastor Dave. What's a sermon in a sentence? And I said, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. We are sanctuaries of the Lord. Your holy presence living in me. Your holy presence living in me. We're endeavoring next from chapter 25 through the end of the book of Exodus chapter 40 there's a little parenthetical pause in the middle chapters 32 and 33 but the totality of this portion of scripture is about the tabernacle and the construction of the tabernacle and all of the elements of the tabernacle and the priestly garments and those seven elements, if you will, contained with inside of the tabernacle. 
And it is, the scripture even tells us, and we'll read in a moment, that it is a pattern, a pattern. And we've talked on many occasions that our God is a God of pattern. And he's setting a pattern. And it's based upon a heavenly reality. And the beauty is, just as we'll see the construction of the tabernacle over the next 15 weeks or so, we'll also see that in each one of us. For just as there is an outer court, a holy place, and a most holy place in the tabernacle, so in you we have the outer court, which is the body. We have that holy place, which is the soul. And we have the most holy place where the Spirit of God dwells, our spirit. God has made our spirits alive because of Christ and what he did upon the cross at Calvary. And we, we are the tabernacles of God. We're in our temporary tents just as that tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place so you and I are in our tents, temporary, but God has prepared a building for us. Come on. It will be our permanent dwelling. And that's what we are eagerly awaiting, that dwelling place in heaven with God. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. Now, let's pick up chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. Whose offering? God says, My offering. It doesn't belong to the children of Israel. It doesn't belong to Moses. It doesn't belong to Aaron. It doesn't belong to any of those. It belongs to the Lord. So as Matthew said a few moments ago, when we bring our offering, our free will offering, God's, God's encouragement here, just this is a side note, God's encouragement is that our hearts would be willing in the offering. I would say the thing that prevents most people from having a willing heart is their own sense or their own work of their personal finances. God release us from being ignorant in managing and stewarding the finances that the Lord has entrusted to us. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> you know, it's, isn't it funny that finances is the one area that we really don't want to reveal to other people? I'm not gonna show you how I do my personal finances, mostly because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> And people oftentimes are, and there's debt, and there's things that we don't want others to know. God wants to free us from that, that we would be good stewards, and that we would know how to manage the resources that God has given us so that we would be in a position, so that when the pastor or someone else says, this morning the Lord has inspired us to take up a free will offering for missions. The tithes, are you ready for this? The tithes should have already come in. Right? Because that's automatic. It's not yours, it's his. Right? I don't mind talking about tithes because I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about his. Does that make sense? Yeah. That should already have come in. 
You don't have to wait for the plate to be passed. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Listen, the scripture says in Malachi, he says, shall a man rob God? You say, how will we rob God? And he says, well, in your tithes and in your offerings. I don't know, I don't know about you. I don't want to rob God. Can I get an amen? Okay. So this is free will. This is like, that's that above and beyond. And this, I'm not even talking about money today. I don't know how I got here. Because <laughs> the scripture's talking about it. But does that make sense? Wouldn't you want to be in a place where you could say, hallelujah, they're taking an offering for missions. We get to be a part of something on a global scale. Just as Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. You will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, right here, in Judea, Samaria, and where? Unto the ends of the earth. So we all would get to be a part of that. And if I was in a position, I would be like, come on, praise God. Let's do as much as we can. Like a one yeah. <laughs> yes. I know your heart's there. Okay. Verse three. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, purple, blue, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. Incidentally, today, if there's a free will offering, no goat's hair. <laughs> Ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And then let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all I have shown you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it. Just so you shall make it. A free will offering. Now, I want to focus today very specifically on verse 8. Verse 8 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I love that God wants to dwell among his people. God wants to dwell among us. Jesus, the scripture says in John chapter 1, in fact, turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. A familiar text. Many of you have the first verse certainly memorized, maybe even the 14th verse where we're going to get to. But John 1.1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who are we talking about here? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. How many things were made? Through him, all things. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life 
was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You jump down to verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word there for dwelt is tabernacled. The Word, Jesus, came in the flesh and tabernacled with us or among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, by way of portraits of Messiah, the tabernacle, which we'll see over the next couple of months, a, really a representation or a type of Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. In fact, all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, from the brazen altar to the laver to the menorah to the table of showbread to the golden altar to the ark of the covenant to the mercy seat, all of them point to Jesus. They're portraits of Messiah. And we will talk about those in some detail. It's marvelous. Today, more than anything, a glimpse, if you will. This is just an overview. And here are some similitudes, if you will, of the tabernacle in Christ. Number one, the tabernacle was a temporary meeting place. And Jesus, on his first advent, was a temporary visit. He was here for some 33 years. A temporary visit. It's interesting that the tabernacle was birthed, if you will, in the wilderness. Messiah was birthed in a manger, in a place that is not for normal living for human beings, a wilderness, if you will. He said, the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. A wilderness. He had no permanent home. Remember what the book of Hebrews says about Abraham. Abraham and his sons, they dwelt in tents because they were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Jesus had no place. He was in a temporary dwelling, if you will. A wilderness. He was even buried in a borrowed tomb. No space, wilderness. Isaiah 53 reminds us, just like that tabernacle, although we'll discover in its construction, are you ready for this? It had gold in it. The gold was not visible to those who were on the outside. Only the priests would ultimately see the gold. You see, all of the acacia wood that was completely covered in gold was completely covered in four layers. A linen that had been woven with cherubim upon it, that first layer. Then the layer of ram skin, the, layer, the goat skin and the ram skin, and then ultimately the badger skin, or many believe that to be actually porpoise skin or manatee skin. Um, so from the outside... It was not even attractive. There would be nothing that would necessarily draw someone to it like, oh, look at this beautiful structure. It was a tabernacle, and it was kind of dull from the outside. Well, Isaiah 53 
says regarding the suffering servant after his first, or in the midst of his first advent, there would be no comeliness, nothing that would draw us, no beauty that would draw us to him. A similitude. The tabernacle is where God would encounter man. Jesus epitomizes God became man and dwelt amongst men. This is interesting. In the Holy of Holies, in the midst of the tabernacle, was the Ark of the Covenant. And what was in the Ark of the Covenant, its contents, was the stone tablets. Initially, the law. And that Ark, again, a type of Christ, is the only thing that could contain, could contain the law. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. How interesting. The mercy seat resides over the law. I think that's marvelous. The mercy seat. The mercy seat was constructed out of one piece of gold. The box or the lid that it was covering was a space of about maybe four feet by two feet, 27 inches wide by some 48 inches in length. One piece of gold and two angels, an angel on one side and an angel on the other side, hammered out out of gold, whose wings would span across the top. And God would speak to the high priest in that holy of holies from above the mercy seat. Now, as the high priest would go in once a year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. Here's a picture of Christ. Remember at his resurrection? Remember at the resurrection of Christ? When they came to the tomb, and one of the accounts, as they looked into the tomb, there was the place that the body of Christ lay. There was an angel at the head, and there was an angel at the foot of the bed. And where Jesus had bled some seven different places upon his body, where he had been flogged on his back and the blood run down his back, where he had had a crown of thorns placed upon his head and the blood running down his face, where he had been pierced in his side and the blood and the water flowed, he had nails through his hands, his left hand and his right, and a nail through his feet, bleeding from his left and his right. Some seven places that blood would have been stained now on the table. And we have a picture of the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, we have perpetual mercy seat in Christ. We have the grace of God through Jesus and the work. And so we see the similitude from that tabernacle right into the very tomb. We see that mercy, Jesus shed his blood once for all. Thanks be to God. So some similitudes. That's the portrait of Messiah that I would want you to see today. And it's an overview and we'll spend more time digging into this over the weeks. But I think it's interesting to note if we were to construct a temple or a tabernacle as dimensions given to us, it would be 
an area of about 150 feet by 75 feet. There would be a white linen wall all the way around this rectangular structure. And it's just that comprises the outer court, if you will. And it's just high enough that it's, you can't look over it. How interesting that its construction is white linen. So what someone from the outside would see would be white. And what held the white linen was the acacia wood covered in bronze. Bronze, in typology of the word of God, represents judgment. So what kept people out was the righteousness, white representing the righteousness. Remember, we'll be clothed in white linen, the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness and judgment keeps out. How beautiful, another picture, and this is, again, we'll talk about this in detail, but as you go into the construction of the inner parts, it's acacia wood, and wood in its typology represents humanity, and humanity, the wood covered on the inside is covered with not bronze, but gold, which is representative of deity. On the outside, humanity covered in judgment. On the inside, humanity covered by deity. We are covered by the shed blood of Christ. Thanks be to God. So we're like on the inside because of what Jesus did. And here's the picture. How do you get on the inside? There's only one door. And as it was laid out in a rectangular shape, north, south, east, and west, actually rectangular this way, the eastern gate had a doorway in, if you will. And so the children of Israel would have their encampments out, and from the east there was a door in. The tribe that was represented, the, the main tribe representing three tribes encamped there, on the front is the tribe of Judah. So the entrance in to the tabernacle was through the tribe of Judah. How profound that our Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe, entering in. I won't go into a tremendous amount of detail, but the first thing a person or a priest would encounter as they entered in was the brazen altar where sacrifices would be made. The next thing would be the laver, the bronze bowl. Now, at least one commentary, commentator said that those, that bronze bowl, from the collection of the free will offerings, it was taken from the polished bronze that were used as mirrors, and in that bowl was water for washing to become ceremonial clean, to clean the priest's after offerings were made and preparations for entering into the holy place. Here's the beauty. If, in fact, that polished bronze was what was used and those were once mirrors, I asked my wife, said, what, what do we do with mirrors? Well, we look at our reflection. Yes, but for what purpose? Why do we look in mirrors? We're taking care of the outside. 
we're making the outside look good, right? I got to make sure I'm looking okay this morning. I probably need to shave. I don't know what you gals do. I mean, I've seen some of you doing this. <laughs> we're fixing up the outside. And it's as though those outside preparation things were taken and fashioned into a bowl that would now contain water. And so as the priest would approach the bowl, he would look in the water. The Bible says as water reflects, as in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. And looking into the laver, there's an opportunity for us to be looking inwardly at ourselves. And so, an opportunity coming face to face. What does water represent in Scripture? What is represented by water in the Scripture? What are we told? We are told to renew our minds by the washing of the water of the Word of God. Water is a type of the Word of God. And so as we look into the laver, I look into the Word of God, I see it reveals my heart to me. And it's there that I can make confessions to the Lord. Lord, my heart isn't right. There's sin in my life. You've revealed to me my attitudes. You've revealed to me where my thinking isn't good. You've revealed to me where I'm more about me than I am about my wife or I'm more about me than I am about my children and their development. I'm more about me than I am about the kingdom of God. And it's an opportunity for me to come to a place of repentance. And so the priest would move into the holy place, which in this building, the inner part, you had the outer court. Now there's a building on the inside of this outer court. It's about 45 feet long. It's 15 feet wide and it's 15 feet tall. And it's made out of wood covered in gold. It has those four layers of covering, which we'll go over in detail later. <clears throat> He'd walk into the first section. There's two rooms in this. The first room is, 40, or is 30 feet in length by the 15 by the 15. There's one light on the left-hand side. There would be the menorah, which is the seven-armed lamp, oil-fed lamp. It is a lamp stand. And this is a beautiful picture even in the menorah. There's a main stem, the vine, wherewith it draws oil up. And the lamp is lit. He is the vine and we are the branches. The six branches, three on one side, three on the other. It's the official symbol for the nation of Israel today, the menorah. And that's not to be mistaken with the eight-wicked one, or the nine-wicked one for Hanukkah. That's different. That has to do with the Maccabean revolt in 167 AD. That's completely different. It's the festival of lights. But the menorah comes right out of the temple, and it's a picture of Christ. What is the number of perfection, seven. What's the number for man? Six. He is the vine. We are the branches. Six branches representing man. We are light bearers of the vine. Oil is representative of the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God enabling our light to shine brightly. So the priest would have the illumination. And then on the right-hand side would be the table of showbread. This is a beautiful thing. If you write down this scripture, and you can go check it out yourself in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, or you can look it up on Blue Letter Bible. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 5 tells us about the showbread. 
there were 12 loaves every single week that would be placed out. And those showbread, the actual Hebrew word is kahala, kahala. And kahala is a Hebrew word whose root word is kahala, without the H on the end. And if you look that word up, you'll see that it means pierced. Pierced. It was unleavened bread, pierced. So from the very onset, even of the tabernacle, what the prophet Zechariah would prophesy even later was also that which had already occurred. They will look upon the one whom they have pierced. Jesus is the bread of life. That bread is a picture and a type of Messiah to come, the one whom they would pierce. Pierced from the very beginning to this very day in our communion, we partake of matzah bread. It is kahala, pierced. We, in type, are looking upon the one whose body was broken for us. Lots of imagery. Well, next would be the golden altar, then the veil, and I won't go into the detail of the veil. Some say it was as thick as 18 inches, 15 feet high, some 15 feet wide, 18 inches thick. I mean, that's a massive. And so all that to say, the Holy of Holies would be entered through the veil once a year by the high priest only, only after some seven cleansings, and he would go in and he would make atonement for himself and for the people. And inside the Holy of Holies, those two things, the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And so these we will see as types of our Messiah today. Again, as the scripture says, make a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among you. What do, we, what do we take away? We see this tabernacle, we see this construction, we see, do you know that the tabernacle of all the subject matters that are talked about in the scripture, outside of the person of Jesus Christ, this subject, the tabernacle, is the most written about subject matter in all of the scripture, the most. Some have calculated that it's at least 40 chapters written alone on the tabernacle. 15 here, or some 13 here anyway. Volume. God is saying something to us. And so, what do we take away today? 1 Corinthians, Paul the apostle writing to the church in Corinth said these words under the inspiration of God the Spirit. Do you not know that you, take your index finger like this. I'll see if you're still awake. Take your index finger like this. Point it at your chest. Say to yourself, you, you, me. Do you not know you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit of God tabernacles in you. The temple is holy, the Scripture says. And goes on to say, which temple you are. Then again, in 
chapter 6 and verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Do you understand that? You're not your own. If your faith is in Christ, you belong to God. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. I've been crucified. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm not my own. I'm his. I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God. So here's a question. Do the things of my temple point to Jesus? Just as the tabernacle, all of those things point to Messiah, do the things of my temple point to my Messiah? Or do the things of my temple point to me, who has power to do nothing for anyone on an eternal measure? How about you? The totality of your life. Is it pointing to the Lord? Is it pointing to the things of the Lord? Pointing to Christ. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare to be fit? Quickly. I believe it's the power of God. We can do nothing. Even Jesus said, I I do nothing on my own. I do those things that I've seen with the Father. You and I, we can do nothing unless the Lord does it through us. Does that make sense? We need the Lord. We need the power of God. We need the Spirit of God working in us. Can I get an amen? Those of you who came forward, it's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, declares the Lord. We will not accomplish those victories in and of our own strength. You may have willpower, but your willpower will only get you so far. You will chew gravel if you're depending on your willpower. You need the power of the Spirit of God, which is greater than your willpower. Just like the presence of God was in the holiest of holies, the Shekinah glory of God, and would speak from the mercy seat in you and I, in our most holy place, in our spirit, God the Spirit, if your faith is in Jesus Christ today, God the Spirit lives in that space. And here's the beauty. Just like he was in the tabernacle speaking from that space, he's speaking from that space in you and in me. It's just up to us to hearken to the Lord. Lord, what are you saying? And I love, the Gospels tell us that the Spirit of God is ministering to those who are on the outside. Those who don't know Christ, the Spirit of God is working from the outside in. The Scripture tells us that he's convicting with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. How interesting that when you look at the tabernacle from the outside, you see righteousness. He convicts the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. The brass, the brass poles, 
But from the inside, he's convincing and he's speaking and he's loving. Come on, have you heard the tender, still, small voice of the Lord pointing out in your life those things that are offensive to our Father? And he says, look, Dave, if you will give this up, God has something so much better for you. Worship the Lord here. Don't worship yourself. Don't worship your flesh. Don't worship the enemy. Don't worship those things that are detrimental to the good that God wants to do in your life. He's lovingly pointing out those areas in our lives that are contrary to the goodness of God. And if we would but hearken the Lord and say, oh, thank you, Spirit of God, and we resist the devil such that he would flee, and we would walk in that obedience and say, yes, God, yes, God. Oh, my flesh is craving it once, it once, it once. But I'll say no, because you said so. And if we will endure, we will see the goodness of God, and we will see the blessings of the Lord, and we will see him lavish on us his love and his blessing. Where he speaks, let's listen. Five thoughts. I'll just share these five thoughts with you. And then I won't commentate on any of them. Maybe. Remember, we are God's workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us. God is working in us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changing into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. He wants to change us from glory to glory into the image of the only begotten Jesus. No Less of Dave, more of Christ. Does that make sense? That's, that's what... God the Spirit is doing in us. Not, he's doing that so that he can love us and bless us more. Does that make sense? Okay? And so, Spirit of God is anointing just as he anointed, and we'll get further in Exodus chapters, uh, even in 35. 35 and 36, if you get a chance this afternoon, read how it's the Spirit of God who filled those workers, those craftsmen, so that they would have the skill and the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge of working all of the materials to make the woven linens of the uh, cherubim and then the working of the brass and the gold and the silver and all of those pieces. It's he that gave them that ability in their workmanship just as he, the Spirit, helps us. He fills us that we might be his workmanship in Christ Jesus. And so, being filled with the Spirit to do all manner of work. So, here's five things that you and I can do, and I think they'll be up on the board. They are. We need to be looking into the laver. We need to come to the bowl, and we need to look in the, in the laver and let it reflect. We need to let the laver that contains the water 
made out of those mirrors, reflect what's really going on in us. What's really in us. We need to look intently into the laver. And if the reflection is me and not Jesus, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in me. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So the second is I need to be listening to the Spirit of God. The Spirit who dwells in me, just like in the Holy of Holies, that Shekinah glory right over the mercy seat, he's now in me and he's speaking just like he was speaking there and I need to hearken to his voice. Wouldn't it be great if I could stop thinking about God trying to take things away from me and begin to think about God trying to give more to me? I'm the one who puts up the barrier, and I hold the barrier there because I think, well, God just wants to take this good thing away from me. No. He's taking something that's preventing more from being bestowed on us. Does that make sense? Well, I have rights, and that person offended me, so I'm, I'm going to be mad at them. <laughs> Last time I checked, if I'm crucified with Christ, I'm dead. And a corpse has no rights. Right? If you're dead, you have no rights. Right? But get that? I mean, that, that's big. So if he's saying something like forgive, what should we do? Well, like to negotiate this. <laughs> we forgive. Okay, listen to the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. Come on. When the Spirit of God prompts us to do something, go do that thing. And if you think, well, I don't know if this is the Spirit or if it's me. Anybody ever think that? Am I the only one in that boat? <laughs> right? Yeah. Is it me or is it God? If it's good, how about just take a chance? that it might be God. Well, I don't like giving things to people that are standing on the side of the road asking for food. Hey, man, give your lunch away. Or go buy a lunch and just go give it to them. And just tell them, hey, man, I'm giving this to you. I'm just feeling obedient to the Lord, and I just want to give this to you in the name of Jesus. Or it may be something entirely different. It could be at the grocery store, and you're pushing your cart and minding your own business, and you're checking cans and reading and God says, you see that person at the end of the aisle? Go tell them I love them. You're like, yeah, right. In what language? <laughs> he says, no. And you're like, turn my cart around, start walking. You get to three aisles over and you're like, oh, okay. And you get over there and they're not there anymore. And you're like, yes. And then you turn around and you come out and they're right there. And you're like, no. I thought I got away with this. And you go up and you say, God loves you. And he wants you to know that. And they stop their cart. What did you say? He said, God loves you. And you see the tear welling up in their eyes. Next line. How can I pray for you? Or maybe the Spirit of God will give you some revelation. But just 
We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Listen, if you in your life want to live the most exciting life ever, we read about in the book of Acts, as they walked, Peter, his shadow cast. People were being healed. And we look for the dynamic inside the four walls of the church, and I would submit to you today that if we would be led by the Spirit, we would see the dynamics of the Spirit in our marketplaces today and the purpose of Pentecost being baptized in the Holy Ghost, we'd see people being saved on the outside and there'd be less seats empty on the inside. We need the Spirit of God moving in us, being prompted to go pray and exercising faith and saying, in the name of Jesus, I said I wasn't going to commentate on these. Okay, number four. We need to be laden with the Spirit. Laden is a trucking term. You fill a trailer, a box, and it's laden with goods. You get a bill of lading when you receive the product and the, open up the trailer doors and it's full with everything that was on my lading. We need to be laden with the Spirit of God and we need to know what his laden or his bill of lading has. His bill of lading has a lot of gifts. Can I get an amen? And we want to have them all working in us. Now you're going to have some that are principally working, but how about more, Lord? Anybody here want more of the Holy Spirit working in them? Raise your hand if you want more of the Holy Spirit. Come on. When was the last time you asked? Holy Spirit, fill me fresh. Some of you just earlier today. <laughs> How about like every day? Holy Spirit, more. I'm a candidate for more. Lord, prepare me. And then finally, number five. We need to be laundered by the word of God. We need to, we need to come to the labor morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night, just like that Psalm 1, blessed man, not in the counsel of the wicked, but meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, looking into it day and night. Let's let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. Will you stand with me this morning? If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and you would like to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you'd like to know that your name is written in God's book, you'd like to know that your eternal destiny is in heaven to spend eternity with God, and you're uncertain, you can know for sure the Bible says, the Bible tells us that these things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. And that word know there in the Greek is gnosis, and it means to know experientially. I know that I have eternal life because I'm living it right now. And I'm gonna walk into eternity someday. We can know that. If you're here this morning and you just wanna solidify that, maybe you committed your life to Christ some time ago. Maybe you've actually walked with the Lord for years and right now you're just in a drift. And you just want to re-solidify it. And you just say, Lord, I just want to re-solidify it. 
I want you to know this, not necessarily a private thing. Let's be bold and say, yep, that's me. Or maybe it would be for the very first time. But if you're here today and you just want to affirm your salvation, you want to maybe for that very first time declare salvation, would you just simply raise your hand and say, that's me, remember me when you pray. I'm going to look around. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Anybody else? I see that hand up there. Praise the Lord. I think that's a hand. That is a hand. Yeah, that's my buddy Kipton. I see those two. Come on. Amen. I see those two. Three. Come on. Four. Yes. Come on. Others. Praise God. Praise God. Remember that whole welcome home thing? Welcome home. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Come on. So let's all declare with all these who raise their hand, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's believe in our hearts. And if you reconfirmed or committed for the very first time your life to the Lord today, lots of hands went up, there is a card on the table at the top up there. It's by the welcome table. It's a prayer card. I'm going to ask you to print your name, print your email address and your phone number, and say, I recommitted my life or I committed my life to Christ today. Can, I get, can, can, we, get, can we do that? Those of you right up here, can we do that? That would be helpful because we would love to support you and strengthen and encourage you. Those over here, those down here, if you raise your hand, please do that. It will help us. We want to be a blessing. For the rest of us and all of us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Father, will you fill all of us fresh? Like those workers you skilled back in the days of the construction of the tabernacle. Lord, would you fill us fresh with your Holy Spirit, equip us with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge for every good work. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for those things that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, may we do those things because you have empowered us. Help us to live well, preparing these sanctuaries for your glory and for your namesake. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name and everyone said a strong amen. How many of you know the song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary? This will be our benediction. Sing it with me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Amen. Let's have a great week in Christ. God bless you.